where shall we begin? Through Lent this year, as I mentioned last week, I want to talk about forgiveness. That personally challenging, uncomfortable maybe, and yet also central, basic, and vital practice of being a Christian that Christ calls us all to take up as a spiritual discipline. Indeed, it's a practice that this whole season points us towards in a bigger sense as we begin to turn our spiritual posture forward in time as we look towards Good Friday and then beyond it to Easter. Lent, as we were reminded this past Wednesday at the Ash Wednesday service, is a season of fasting, after all. And what if we thought about forgiveness for the sake of this season as a kind of of fasting, of our natural human desire for revenge, evening the score, getting back at those who've hurt us, balancing the scales, reclaiming that pride, perhaps, that internal something that seems to go missing when someone has wronged us and when we want somehow to try to get it back. What if we thought about forgiveness as as just giving that up? Just giving that up altogether as part of a, a spiritual endeavor to grow as Christ's disciples, as a spiritual endeavor to grow closer to God. And of course, in Lent especially, fasting always goes hand in hand with feasting. Just as we fast through Lent six days of the week and then feast on Sundays, what if we also paired the fasting of that desire to balance the scales with a feasting? A feasting on grace. A feasting on God's presence. A feasting even on the things that it might take to learn to love those people that we most need to forgive. But let's be honest, at the outset, forgiveness is hard work. And the more needed it is, it seems, the harder it is. It involves us surrendering something that can be very, very difficult to hand over. And it's not just that it's hard. Forgiveness is often a complicated and risky proposition as well. What if my work at forgiveness isn't met with a willingness to receive it on the other side? What if they scoff at it? What if they laugh at this hard work that I've undertaken and just say, get over it? What if they just don't care? What if they take advantage of my willingness to forgive and abuse this relationship? What if this work doesn't yield me the peace or reconciliation that I'm ultimately after? Those are some of the hard questions of forgiveness. Questions, maybe objections even, that stand to unravel this work before it even gets very far out of the gate. Questions that can, in fact, undermine the work even even while the pain of unforgiveness and the need for forgiveness are pressing and clear. So where shall we begin? 
Where shall we begin in such a way that sets us on a right footing to undertake this practice, this calling? Where shall we begin in such a way that is mindful and aware of the likelihood, no, the certainty, the certainty of our running across these complexities and roadblocks that I just mentioned? Where shall we begin with forgiveness? Where does the practice of forgiveness as Christ taught it truly begin? Paul's letter to the Romans, which I'm going to be preaching through for much of this series, is a letter about grace. It's a letter about grace to a church that, that's far on the outskirts of where Paul spent most of his career as an apostle. And it's doubtful that, that the apostle had even visited this church in person before he sent this letter their way. Romans is a letter about grace in the sense that Paul in this letter is laying out the entirety of the gospel itself as if to try to make his case in full to an audience in that church, in that city even, that was culturally and racially mixed, meaning that some were native Jews, some were Romans, some may have been Greeks, to an audience that had a broad mixture of religious and philosophical backgrounds, to an audience that was literate and educated and was exposed to a number of ideas, and that would probably, very likely, have been yearning for something a lot like this letter to help them understand more clearly what this Jesus thing was really all about in terms that would satisfy their need to understand more deeply, in terms that would help them to answer the questions that were cropping up all around them every single day. And so Paul sets out here in Romans to lay everything out there on the table for them. But where to begin? Where to begin? If such a daunting task was laid before you today to lay out the gospel for a people in a far-off city, where would you begin? In the selection of readings that I've excerpted this morning, I, I passed over a lot of the preamble to where for Paul the gospel really begins. Because what he says in those couple of chapters that I skipped is essentially this. We human beings have tried our very, very best over the centuries, over the millennia even, to approach God, to seek God, to strike up a relationship with God on our own terms. And on terms that as it turns out, we couldn't even begin to live up to. We tried the philosophical approach, he says. We, we tried to, to understand God with our minds, only to fall short miserably under the truth that God isn't something we can grasp or contain with our finite and fallen minds. We also tried the moral approach, Paul says. We tried to, to live up to a code of moral perfection that was never within our grasp or our capacity. We tried to win the gold star from God only to discover more about our capabilities 
or lack thereof, and about the function of those moral laws than we ever stood to learn about God. And so after clearing the slate in that way, Paul has this church take a long, hard look at its imperfections, at its humanity. He asks them and us not just to be reminded of this obvious fact, but but to really think about what it means in terms of where we might begin. From what standpoint a relationship with God might be able to get off the ground. Just a sample again from this passage we just read this morning. He writes, There is no one who is righteous. Not even one. No one with understanding. No one who seeks. All have turned aside. And he goes on, of course, but but the point is, where, with such a people as this, could a relationship with God ever begin? If no one is righteous or capable of righteousness, then any moral path to perfection is ruled out. Any attempt to merit or earn that relationship. If there is no one who understands, as he says, then any philosophical approach, any approach based on how smart or clever we are, isn't going to get us very far either. And if we could scheme up some other way, sheer effort of will, perhaps, the fact is that we lack even that disposition. There is a problem in all of our attempts to strike up a relationship with God on our own terms, and it's a problem Paul says, that begins with us. We, the seekers, are the broken ones. We, the seekers, lack the capacity within ourselves to follow through with our very own project. There is a problem in all human relationships, even including our relationship with God, and the nature of that problem begins and ends with us. Paul begins his account of the gospel here in Romans by having us think deeply on that. Because if you and I could ever begin to strike up a relationship with God by necessity, it seems, by necessity that relationship is going to have to be something that begins with God and not us and begin with meeting us where we really are. In all of the ugliness, in all of the dysfunction of that, if there's ever going to be any relationship of any kind, in other words, it's going to have to begin with God's grace. It's going to have to begin with God's forgiveness for where we offend, for where we do harm and fail to live up. It's going to have to begin with some sort of helping hand to get us onto our feet so that a relationship like this can be nurtured into life. It's going to have to begin with where we are. That's why Paul begins this letter with that memorable line that we read at the outset this morning, that beautiful verse that I invite you to commit to memory. For I am not ashamed the gospel. 
It is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of this good news. This good news is the very thing that reached out to me in my weakness, in my brokenness, that forgave me and rose me back to life. I'm not ashamed of it, Paul says. I proclaim it. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who has faith. The power of God, God's grace, God's initiative to set right and straighten out an otherwise impossible situation because of who we are, because of the reality on the ground being what it is, all relationships with God begin with grace. All of them. All relationships with God begin with grace because of who we are. Church, have you ever considered what if that's exactly the kind of practice of forgiveness that we're called to as well? The kind that is able to take stock of the fact at the outset, that we're all in a similar state of brokenness and imperfection. The kind that understands that forgiveness is the necessary starting point. The starting point for anything to heal. For any relationships to move forward. The kind that understands that without forgiveness, we're all stuck. That understands that with God, forgiveness comes first and makes possible all that comes next and not the other way around. God's grace is our model for how we take up this difficult work, for how we imagine where to begin. And if we begin by taking a close look at who we are, if we begin by taking a closer look at the nature of the problem, and we soon realize that everything, everything begins with grace. And all of God's people said, Amen.